Hey everybody, welcome back to Beyond AIO from Odyssey Geek. I am so excited today. I think this is going to be a really positive review, hopefully. And returning to the show is Michael Favor. Hey, Michael. Hi, I am very happy for multiple reasons. One of which is these episodes. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, it's great. That's great. It's been a while since we've, since we've had a review segment where we were really positive about Seems like most everything. I know how your feelings yeah. are about one episode kind of already, uh -huh. but I'm really interested to hear what you think about the other episode. Yeah, since we're already into it, it's it's interesting because the last time I didn't like either one. This time, I really like both of these. I love the first... In fact, I think... Just, just a little preview. I think the first one of these two might be one of my new favorites of the series. And the second, I liked a lot better on the second listen-through. You were right. The first time I was like, eh. The second time I was like, no, this is fantastic. This is a great one. So... Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan, and I'm ready to talk about it. All right. Well, before we do that, I got to put this in. What kind of review will this be? That's the question. That's the key. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll stop that there. I had that written down. Like, I want to add that joke in here. <laughs> what kind of review will it be? I don't even remember the song that well enough to sing it. So, you may be wondering why we're so positive. What we're talking about. We're back again talking about Paws and Tales. We are talking about episode number 12, The Honey Buzz Principle. Yes. And later we'll be talking about episode 13, Snake Oil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So The Honey Buzz Principle was written by Jeff White. Script supervisor was Phil Lawler. Director was David Carl. Music by Tim Hosman. Sound design by Jerry Swafford. That's, this is actually a second episode after A Closer Look. Um, just a little trivia there. At least, at least release-wise. And the song Treasures in Heaven was written by Sandy Howe and Matt McGuire. Okay, yeah, I like the song on this one. Yep, I think we have a lot of good things to say. That's always fun <laughs> when we're pumped up to say a lot of good things about the episode. Yeah, yeah, it, it made me happy. It made me very happy listening through, especially because I've been so into story structure lately. I've been saying that for months at this point, and it's just so great to hear like really good story structure. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I, I probably didn't think about them as in-depth as you have, but... That we both like them, I think is a good. I think it's a good sign. Yeah, yeah. So we start the episode out by listening to CJ and Goose walking through the woods, and CJ's hungry, and Goose keeps talking about these weird food combinations. <laughs> I I've heard of. I think when I first heard this episode was when I was a kid. I don't think I'd ever heard really much about people eating pickles and peanut butter. I think it's kind of a little more common thing. I never tried it. I don't want to try it. And also her bologna and banana burrito with horseradish. Definitely <laughs> not. No way. Speaking of pickles with peanut butter, uh, there was something we were talking about on our haul. I'm going to send this to you. I'm sorry in advance, but this is called the Snickle. Okay, so that's supposed to be like some kind of Snickers or something? Yeah, Snickers inside a pickle. I'm sure Goose would love that. Oh, that's disgusting. Why? <laughs> Have that uh, be the, I guess, the last thing you think about today. But no, <laughs> I love that Goose is back and Goose is fantastic after not hearing her for was she in neither of the episodes we talked about last time no she wasn't okay okay yeah she's back and she's hilarious in this episode i i am very very happy about it and the beginning where or he's hungry and she's just talking about food first off that's not helpful because he's hungry already talking about food isn't gonna make him feel any better but also the food combinations are just like no that's, that's just gonna make him sick uh, she talks about the pickle with peanut butter and a bull. I, I did you did you mention the burrito, the bologna banana burrito with horseradish sauce? Yes, I did. Definitely, <laughs> definitely no uh, hard pass on that one. Yeah, yeah, not not a big fan. <laughs> so they do find something to eat. They come across a beehive, a really big one. Yeah, 
it's huge. I, like I haven't been around a lot of beehives. I try to keep my distance from those kind of things. But I don't idea. know if I've ever seen like a actual like a in the wild kind of like you know you know honeybee kind of hive. I've usually seen like wasp nest and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I was a little confused how this worked exactly because CJ was able to pick it up and take it back home. So I'm wondering, was it like in a dead tree stump or something like that? But it's okay. Yeah, they talk about later. It's like a rotten stump, really. I think he says. Okay. So I guess they're able to like cut it off enough like it's probably not like, not like the entire tree and it's not not the tree that they originally started to build their fort that's for sure <laughs> oh fortunately yeah <laughs> yeah oh yeah there's a beehive in here too wow oh wow we could have had like we could have free honey all the time over here wouldn't that be a cool <laughs> callback though if they went back to the original tree from the first episode and hey there's a beehive in there but no nah, it's it's fine yeah but if that was the case the gophers might have eaten it all wait wait what if this episode went a completely different way and the gophers showed up again and just took the beehive <laughs> short episode yay (laughs) all right anyway well anyway cj is talking about how much he knows about bees (laughs) and he's a bear you know bears are able to get honey okay and they got thick hide and goose as you know she's like she mentioned like you know i'm a weasel i'm not getting anywhere near that yeah yeah and so he wants to take the i think he has the honey and then he wants to uh take it so goose isn't going to help him with it so he gets stacy who is also a bear cub well well actually before we jump too far ahead, there's a lot there in the first scene. Uh, can I jump back and talk about it a little bit? Yeah, about? yeah, go ahead. So first off, you missed the deer who's there. So there's uh, yeah, the deer can't. The deer came. Oh yeah, there did you was two him? appearances of him. I thought it was after C- Stacy came, but I guess yeah, I guess the deer was there in the first scene, right? Yeah, the deer was there at the beginning. Uh, like the, okay, that's how, that's where they first see the beehive. They have no like. First off, CJ doesn't even know how long the deer's been there to the beehive, and I have some theories at the end of the episode about like about that. But uh, they see the deer there, and then um, there's a lot of really good foreshadowing here when CJ's talking about, I know all about beehives, or you don't get stung if you're a bear this, because of like the thick hide. First off, that's the, the sort of beginning of CJ's pride. Mm-hmm. And the statement itself isn't exactly prideful, but then in the context of the episode, it becomes prideful, which I think is really interesting. Uh, and then him saying people would pay for honey like this when he started out when he was hungry and he wanted food. And then he forgets all about that in the rest of this episode and becomes greedy. And I think CJ's development is really, really good, especially because the episode did not take the turn that I thought it would. And I'll talk about that later. But I was listening to this. I thought, wait, if it goes one way, I'm going to be eh on the episode. If it goes another way, I'm going to be wow on this episode. And I, I really liked it. So we'll we'll get to that when we get there eventually. But Anyway, yeah, he Goose is like, no, 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 we're not taking it to the club. And good on her for saying no. Uh, but she's, <laughs> she's not afraid to say no, but then he CJ gets Stacy to help him with it. So when they come back, when Stacy and CJ come back with the wheelbarrow or... Was it a wheelbarrow or a wagon? I think it's a wagon. I might be wrong. Okay. They come back and CJ points out the deer brought some friends. I didn't think a whole lot about this, that line there... Until, like, when I was listening to this to, for this review, yes. and I'm sure we'll probably get into that later. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But they do leave, and they're able to get the beehive, take it to CJ's house. I did think about this. I wonder whose land this was on. Like, is it, like, public property or yeah. is it private land? I was wondering about that because, really, it would be... It would, <laughs> I could come up with a lot of e-jokes. It could be logged <laughs> to somebody else. Stop! <laughs> Too You're late. Not Ryan. Too late. <laughs> You'll never be Ryan. No one's as good as puns as he is. I'm not. Yeah, my name is not Ryan. Remember, <laughs> you need to believe in his ability to make puns. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. 
but but anyway, it's it, there were so many ways that you could have or that the episode could have gone in talking about CJ's faults here. But I really love that it only stuck to his greed because that's it's a really powerful ending, I think, to the episode. Like not even considering all the other weird, stupid things he did, but even just talking about like if we're bringing it up, like, yeah, whose land was this? Obviously, he overlooked that because of his greed. It was really a hard issue there. Yeah. So they get the beehive there at the house and Stacy wants some honey. And instead of just being a nice kid and just giving her some honey for free, he says that, well, after he sells the honey, if there's some left, then he'll give her one at half price, which is really the start of his kind of downward spiral. Here. Oh, I think it even started before then because he's talking up like I think he's. Oh, OK. No, it's a little bit later. I, I'm trying to remember. At some point, it says he's dreaming. The narrator says he's dreaming about pools of honey and mountains of money, which is a great line. But you are right about that. That this is starting to where things are going downhill, and it's interesting. Stacy is both the first person and the last person he talks to when he's greedy. Did you get that? Hmm. No, not really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because here he's starting to think about the business, and he says, "Hey, I'll give you one for half price." At the end of the episode, right before spoiler alert, he gets stung. He was just talking to her. Did you catch that? Hmm. It's coming full circle. Oh, okay. I see it now. Yeah. You see why I like the story structure? It's really good. But yeah, he starts a honey stand, and his slogan is, eh, it's just one lick and you'll be stick. You'll be stick. Yeah, it rhymes, but it's not the right tense of that verb. I mean, he's a kid. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't even know what he was saying at first. I was like, just one lick and you'll be stick. Wait, what? What did you say? Also, it didn't help that the voice track editing isn't fantastic on this episode. It's 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 okay, but there are a couple lines that are a little bit cut short when they shouldn't be. It's kind of sad. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I feel like at that point, like it is kind of hard to understand it. It makes sense that it's the same, like it rhymes and you know, stick, sticky, honey. But the thing is, it doesn't make sense because it's not quite the right tense of a verb. But again, it's a kid. He's thinking more about the the money than the slow the advertising, I guess. And he's selling it for a dollar a jar. And like I said, this the series kind of takes place like late 18th century, like early 19th century kind of. So a dollar, I guess, back then for a jar of honey would be really expensive. Where now, you know, it'd be like, what, four or five dollars a jar, maybe? I, I guess. But th- even so, they set it up really well by having the, the first couple of skeptics come up and say, why would you pay a dollar for that? And then using that dollar as a reference for the train ticket, which is like $30 or something like that. I think, is it 30 for both of them? It's something interesting. Um, but the episode does a good job of bringing you into that world. You don't even know need to know the period to know that to these people, a dollar is a lot of money. Exactly. And the first customer he has Steve is... Steve Bridges. Da, 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 da. Yep. And then the second one was... Chris Anthony. Yep. Which Marsha isn't actually... Marsha and Anna Cindy is not in this episode, but you hear Chris Anthony in this and like just these little bit parts random parts and same thing in the next episode as well yeah exactly you see i i don't know who can we (laughs) real quick it's been on my mind can we jump ahead to the next episode just for like a half a second yeah that's fine who plays dr theron do you have any idea yeah i know oh is it it's not it's eric basil oh ned okay i see i thought it i thought it was todd bastide for a half a second but i was like okay it's 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 still the sound designer so i'm not that wrong um anyway Okay, that makes a lot more sense. All right, back to this one. Well, you knew it wasn't Steve Bridges, so you're good there. <laughs> yeah, I know him. Doesn't doesn't Eric Basil also play the old lady? Uh, we'll get into that. Okay, all right. Let's 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 stay here then. I'm sorry, I'm getting off track. Continue. Oh, that's okay. That that was a fun tangent. Yay! So people are starting to buy the honey. He gives him a sample. At least give him a sample 
Um, that's really what's uh, drawn them in. Like, he's like the first Costco, I guess. <laughs> you, you know, I, I think that these episodes together, even like even though we're doing these sort of like chronologically, we were kind of offset from the first one, like doing it by twos, the an even number and an odd one. This is really interesting how these two episodes really coincide because in this one, we see CJ almost become a scam artist, but the episode doesn't even care about his scam artistry. It just cares about his heart. And then the next one sees him with an actual scam artist. And I'm like, wow, CJ was that close to being that guy. So that's really interesting. And also, like, dealing with the money and stuff. Yeah, that is really interesting. Didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah. And then later on, CJ's mom comes up to him and, you know, he's just, you know, bubbling over with all these ideas. Like, I'm going to have a honey factory and pipe <laughs> the honey into towns and sit on the ships, send it on ships to China and all this. And... <laughs> a fleet of honey ships. And this is the part, actually, uh, back when he was talking with, uh, actually, Stacy and Goose, and Goose was like, I'll be over here, those bees look like they're angry, like, I've never met an angry bee before, but I bet they look just like these, you kind of hear her off in the distance, I forgot to mention that, but um, he says that the bees just keep working, they're not going to run out of honey, and that's when I thought, ooh, is this a parallel to, like, the rich man in the Bible who built, like, who wanted to build uh, more barns, ah. and God said, he was a fool and was he was going to die or something like that isn't this a is this a parallel to that do you think so um i don't think so i think just more of a means to an end um for the story because it it's important later and because it he does kind of outsell or whatever the the product or whatever yeah but he does get stung pretty hard <laughs> yes good pun good pun <laughs> oh oh i was even making a pun i was saying that literally <laughs> figurative and literally <laughs> or literal uh, literally so his mom sounds really angry, or at least really passive-aggressive in her statements. Why? Well, I mean, it's the same actress that played her in uh, Standing Alone, and I think it's more like the actress, the way she's playing the character. Like, okay. she sounds almost a little bit kind of monotone a little bit. Yeah. So there's not a whole lot, and I don't think it's like the act, I don't think the acting is off. I think it's kind of how she is. She's very mellow about things, I guess. But she does, you know, just that little rise in her voice, like, don't get all nutty on me. Yeah. I mean, it's not like it's almost kind of like she's trying to be funny, but she's like, okay, yeah, you want to think about this, CJ. Huh. I think maybe you could probably look at it that way. I don't know. I feel like I would have preferred if she played it a little bit more like Ava Parker and like Sure Buddy Snowy Day or something like that, where she's kind of, where she's having fun with it, but she's, and she's a little bit annoyed, but she's also kind of going along. Like maybe she sees like, oh, there, there could be problems here, but then she's not super frustrated about it because it really sounds in this like she is just totally done with cj like okay fine oh, i'm trying to what's her I don't, I don't think i even have any of her lines written i have one line of hers which just have fun with this sweetheart it sounds like she's very just like you better stop that right now and i don't know i don't know how to feel about that and he ignores it like he's at the point kind of at the point of no return now uh-huh but we don't we don't hear his mom saying mm, more honey for me <laughs> 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 like yeah. Ava said about the hot cocoa. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a little strange, but, you know, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to point out something in the music. Tim Hoffman, like I said, I think his music is great. Yeah, he's great. And I have this written down in my notes where it talks about, like, he's, you know, getting more honey and the bees are trying to keep up. And it's, they kind of sound kind of, they're getting a little bit irritated. And you hear that music go like, da -da 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 -da. I love how that just, oh. just, it just underscores the narrator's lines there. It's, it's perfect. That's cool. You wouldn't be able to put that in the review, would you? He was taking so much out of that beehive, the bees couldn't keep up. They were getting irritated and, well, so were his friends. Yeah, you're right. That is really cool. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Usually music 
just does like scene transitions or like underscores certain emotions but i don't notice it too often like with the narrator like it you know kind of goes along with it i think maybe like the best or the perfect christmas gift i hear that when it's like when the narrator's talking about like you know it's a sad train whistle or something like that you hear like the music kind of go to somber mm-hmm. i mean that's not a good example but this one i i picked that out mm-hmm. yeah there's like there's a lot of creative things that different music uh composers do and i think i'm trying to think of john campbell i've been learning about leitmotifs recently which are little little themes or little sequences of notes that indicate different parts. Like the da 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 is itself a leitmotif. Um, and it's really one of the only like themes or one ones of those that I hear in these episodes. But the little B sort of leitmotif, you could call that, I guess. Um, and I think other composers do it more than John Campbell. And that's something if I could actually sit down and interview John Campbell, I'd ask him about that. Because I know Jared DePasquale does it. But I don't think John Campbell does it as much. Tim Hospin, no, I don't know his music as well to to guess. But you know, anyway. So we also get to Stacy. She's you know getting irritated at him too. Yep. And she says a line, you know, you've gotten mean, like you're um you've gotten mean, pal, or something like that. You've gotten mean and greedy. <laughs> and like she, you know, she's not the kind of person to sugarcoat things like like me, like Marsh or Goose might. Mm-hmm. And you know, you need that tough love, I guess you would call it. Well, and part of this is because CJ missed the club meeting and. Now Stacy's like, "Hey, are you okay? You you missed the meeting." He's like, "Nah, I was just I was working on or I was trying to get my business." And and she's playing, "Well, we're playing kick the can." Or is that uh, is that Goose who's saying that? One of the I think Goose is there too. But CJ's not just not having it. And finally, Stacy's like, "Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. What are you doing? Come on." Uh, and then we and then we also hear Ned talks. Uh, Ned talks to him for a little bit there, and he points out like he's not filling the jar all the way full. And I thought potato chips. <laughs> <laughs> hey hey i totally understand hey this was another point where i was like oh no is this episode going to be about the fact he's not filling the jars no it's not it's about the heart because again i think that doing all the things that cj was doing maybe with a different heart would be fine i don't think it's a problem to fill the jars that not that full if people are willing to pay that price yeah i don't think there's anything wrong with that because like i mean again like it i with the way things are like vacuum sealed and that kind of stuff now you probably would need a little more air in there, like yeah. especially like with the, like the chip bags and that kind of stuff. I can, I understand that, but like you know when it's homemade stuff, you're just like filling it and just putting the lid on. That's about it. Then yeah, yeah, you probably have less of a wiggle room to like say, oh, I just want to make some space left in there for some air or something like that. Or not even space for air. You can just straight up say, I didn't want to sell as much. I wanted to make more money. And as long as people are willing to buy your product, that's okay. Uh, that's, and that's also why for bags of chips, you pick up the chips to see how much is in the bag. <laughs> and for the customers, if the customers had seen that and they didn't want to pay that much for that much honey, they could have told CJ, okay, I'm not going to do that. But they kept coming back. So, you know. Yeah, because yeah. it's really good honey. Yep, it was really good. And CJ took it all for himself. So, you know, <laughs> whatever. I guess that's fine. <laughs> Depending on the heart, again. And speaking of his heart, he gets rude. Like, he uh, talks to that one lady in, like, one jar, think of the children. Like, he's very being very condescending. <laughs> and then it's like, one jar will do, young man. And then yeah, like, she's like, not okay. buying and it. And it's like, it's like, some people are so rude. It's like, <laughs> uh, that's like the pot calling the kettle black there. <laughs> yeah, come on, CJ. What are you talking about? But then, right after that, isn't this when the, the deer shows up? Yep. So, did you pick up that this was the deer from the beginning of the episode? No. Like, I know now after, like, you know, after I heard the episode. Yeah. Because I can tell yeah. the voice. 
but there is one small little detail in this. I don't know if you picked it up or not. The but... footsteps. The footsteps walking away. Yeah, the hoof clip clop. That was so cool. I'd never yeah. heard that before. But but there's also something else. There are two other things here. Again, because I'm such a nerd. I One is the story structure. Two is the music. So the music is interesting because we haven't had the deer theme or the deer leitmotif before. But that's sort of the clue as to what's going on here because the music changes when the deer walks up and you can clearly hear there's something in his voice. And then the story plays in because to know who he is, you have to understand the three act structure in the first act. We were introduced to the deer. The second act, we see more of what the deer's problem is. He doesn't have a lot of money. And then the third act, we see what eventually happens is that CJ gives money to him. That's why since this story follows the three act structure so well, I instantly knew, Oh, that's the deer. That's who that is. And that was, this was another thing. I was like, oh, no. Is it going to be that, like, the police come and they take the beehive because he stole it from the deer? No, it's not that either. It's still only about the heart. And that's <laughs> – again, I love this episode. That's – I'll get into it in a second. But that's why I, I knew it was the deer at the beginning. You know? Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, you, you probably picked it up probably quicker than I did when I first heard the episode when I was a kid. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not a kid anymore, so maybe this is unfair. <laughs> But at the same time, this is great. But CJ comes back with this other line, like, you know, no money, no honey. Like, yeah, he's really getting insensitive. Yeah, he is real. It's because it's it's also really good humor in that because this is a kid's show and because this isn't extremely serious, you hear the deer is saying whatever in his, his tone of voice. I didn't write down his lines. But then CJ comes back with no money, no honey. Like, did you just hear the way he was talking? You, you're so dense. Come on. Yeah. And then we hear Mr. Mosey. Steve Bridges. I think it's Mosey or Mosby. Mr. Mosey. I think it's Mosey, right? Okay. Yeah. I guess he's like the he's the train conductor or something. Yes. Yes. Isn't he planning on selling the honey for like he buys it for a dollar and is going to sell it for a dollar fifty? Yeah. That was another thing I thought at this point. Oh wait, so the plot's going to be that Mr. Mosey ends up taking all his business, and that's why CJ stops. And no, it's not that either. This episode, this episode just keep kept pulling it on me, like, left and right. Like, what's it going to be? What's going to be the final thing that gets CJ? That's great. I mean, there's so many, like, uh, turnoff lanes or whatever that this episode could have gone, but it didn't. Yeah. Yeah, we should write, like, six alternate endings of this episode. Just for, <laughs> no. Yeah, the alternate falls of tales. It was script supervised by Phil Lawler. I can't do that. <laughs> Sorry. All right. But anyway, he wants to buy 50 jars. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't remember I heard. I think he's, I think he just said that he had already sold, what, 30-some jars, I think? 40, I think, this? is what he sold. Okay. So he goes to Mr. Crawford. Uh, he needs some more empty jars. And, we get, yay, we get to hear Mr. Crawford again. Yep. Another Steve Bridges. He's just all over the place. <laughs> yep. And uh, Mr. Crawford, he has this kind of voice like he's almost kind of tired like i'm wondering like he's maybe cj's been he's seen cj acting this way yeah. he doesn't sound as like chipper as he usually is yes right so that's why i thought that cj's mom was acting like that because mr crawford also is later on in the episode yeah he kind of just says sarcastically like you know you're an inspiration to us all and he kind of this you know kind of like almost like eye rolling yeah. kind of sound to his voice and also the sort of out of nowhere line where he says shouldn't you be out playing baseball or something where he's like come on kid You've been doing this all day. Just get back to being a kid and having fun. Looks like you're, uh, I think he's all but saying you're getting really greedy. Exactly. It's subtle, but he can't take subtlety or uh, tactlessness at all now. I think, didn't CJ have sort of, I was just thinking it'd be funny if CJ said to him as well, like, no honey, no, or no money, no honey, or something like that. But he, he basically does. He's like, we should go into business together. And 
Mr. Crawford's like, eh, sure, no, how about no? So he's going out the door with the jars, and he gets Stacy to carry carry them uh, for him. And uh, Stacy, you know, the sarcastic, you would lo- allow me, a mere child, to help you with your business or something like that. Yeah, and fortunately, she doesn't straight up refuse him because she's a good person. So she says, yeah, okay, I'll help you. Yeah. And then he's trying to fill those jars, and the bee just couldn't keep up, and... He finally just snaps. No, before then, before then, we okay. We missed we missed the whole thing. So back to again, story structure is fantastic. What I was saying earlier, Stacy is the Stacy's the first person um, that he interacts with when he's sort of greedy, and then she's the last person here. He goes back to what he said at the beginning, and she helps him carry all the jars, which is another big job. And she and then he says, "You want a jar of honey? Sure, for fifty cents." And she's like, "Are you kidding me? You're still on that?" And the line she says is, "You're out of control. You've got greed all over you," which is a really, <laughs> a really good observation. And he hears that and doesn't instantly turn from it. Instead, he becomes even more greedy. So you were saying? Yep. So he gets upset. That the bees aren't making honey fast enough, which they're they're not machines, and he gets mad and he kind of snaps, and then he starts, which we hear later, he starts tearing apart and scooping up the honey, like not being careful at all. And then we kind of end on that scene, and then we hear Stacy going to Papa Chuck. Yeah, quick cut there, which was cool. Yeah, and <laughs> I wrote I wrote part of this down here. She's like trying to tell him about CJ and like no, like what do you think would help him or something like that. And said a good smack to the head. And Papa Chuck's like, so like, you know, you think that would help him? Said, well, it'd make me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> and she starts by saying, CJ's bonkers. Papa Chuck says, more than usual? <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe that's more like, I don't know. Like, CJ's usually a fairly normal person. Like, Goods is probably a little more out, out there. Maybe he's maybe referring to how, like, he first was when he was first getting the honey compared to how it is now. It's a well-known fact that CJ's not usually bonkers. <laughs> Callback. That's a good one. Yay. <laughs> Anyway, that's a whole lot better than I just saying I'm done over and over. I I I'm done. <laughs> Although both are funny. So Goose runs in, you know, not bobbing and weaving. I guess <laughs> she's saying, "Hey guys, CJ just got some like like a bajillion bees or something like that." And it's like, <laughs> bees can't hurt a bear. They can if he's allergic. Yep. And then we end that scene. It's like, Woo. what? Ouch. Yeah. And it's so ironic, but you know, this is like you know anthropomorphic animals. <laughs> it's just like kind of. What is it? Poetic irony, I guess. No, it's it's absolutely perfect, especially with the way that like are you familiar with the term as kids say savage? Yeah. Goose is so savage in this next scene, but it works so perfectly because CJ started out with the pride thing saying like, I know all about beehives and like you don't get stung if you're a bear because you have thick hides. And now, well, he got stung. So, you know, and. They, uh, can I, can I start this next scene real quick? Yeah, go ahead. So we start the next scene and, uh, doesn't his mom say like you have a visitor and then Stacy and Goose and Papa Chuck come in and CJ really sounds sore and then he's telling them what happened. And this was, there were two lines from Goose that were just awesome in this one where he says, oh, so I, they weren't making honey fast enough. So I started to tear the hive apart and Goose says, but it's okay. Cause he knows all about bees. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> wow. She just destroyed him. It was so good. It was so good. The other line was once it's and so when uh, Stacy says, "Well, they didn't sting your face," and CJ's like, "No," and Papa Chuck says, "Oh, maybe we should go now, girls." Like I got it immediately, and then it was drawn on for just long enough for everyone else to get it because he basically said it. 
And then as as they're leaving, Stacy's trying to keep it in. And Goose, as she's like walking out, just over her shoulder, just takes the bow and arrow and completely shoots CJ with it. Where she's like, I guess he knows a lot more about bees now than he did before. <laughs> and I was in the ca- in one of the cafes at Liberty. I just cracked up. I was like, what is that line? It's so good. It's so funny. I loved it. Yeah, you, like you kind of like John Fornoff did, like when he was crying, writing his script, like you know, it's okay, I'm a writer. You could have said like, it's okay, I'm an audio drama appreciator. <laughs> I don't remember that. When, people, when was he crying writing the script? I remember Chuck Bolte laughing over the Hidden in My Heart script, but yeah. well, uh, John Fornoff, he's talked about it a couple times in Story Chat. Oh, I don't listen to Story Chat. You should. I should. I know Dominic Trice is on there, but yeah, I saw the recording of two Story Chat episodes, but I didn't haven't listened to them. Oh, okay. Anyway. Anyway. I like about this where they don't have to say exactly where he got stung, but they have it just, you know, just enough that people can pick up on it. And it's, I think it's funnier that way rather than just saying, oh yeah, they stung me in the behind. And we, and we get that funny for a couple seconds. And then for the people who didn't get it, everyone else laughs at the joke when they realize what actually happened. In the meantime, I'm cracking up at the beginning of the joke. So I think, I think it's good. I think it really works. Yeah, really the only one that has any sympathy is Papa Chuck. <laughs> and even he's like, oh, well, we should probably get out of here. Yeah. At least he's the one actually trying to be <laughs> trying to be nice, or at least holding back his laughter more than the other two are. He is the adult. Yeah. So it comes to the next scene. I think it, the narrator talks a little bit about how like he had time to think or something like that. Yeah. And he was about to be sorely disappointed in more ways than one. <laughs> <laughs> wait did the narrator say that no 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 i have that written down oh okay that would have worked well <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, i told you about the three tick joke before right the one that kathy buchanan uses a lot yeah yeah and especially there's um one of there's a joke in no what is it out of her element that i were what is it i need to go back and hear that episode again is it when, like, uh, Horace's mom keeps burning stuff or setting stuff on fire or something? No, it's when Renee makes a pun, and then Horace gets it in the next scene. Oh, yeah. It's so funny. It's so good. And there's something similar in this one, where we have the two jokes from Goose in the previous scene, and then this one, CJ comes out and he's like, look, no jokes about bees or pants, or and then Goose just says, are bees in pants? <laughs> Which, again, that's funny. And it's like, okay, we didn't get enough bees in pants joke from the previous scene, so let's just have one more. All right, all right, I'm done yeah but he asked about like where they've seen this deer family mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. these uh the deer and you know why this episode is also genius and this this episode and the next one are both genius in their development for C- for cj so cj doesn't come to his conclusion directly from somebody else telling him the answer it doesn't come from uh he realizes he's had like He's been greedy, so he goes to Papa Chuck and says, what should I do? Instead, he comes to the conclusion on his own. The Deer family stuff comes out of nowhere, but if you're paying attention to the story, you know exactly where it came from. He's been watching all these events, and now that he sees, oh man, I've been so terrible to everyone, instantly the people who come to his mind are the Deer family, the one who, ones who he took the hive from in the first place, the ones who needed help in the middle of the episode, and now, because he has a good heart, I don't like I'll talk about it in the next one as well, but because he knows the right thing to do, he knows he knows what to do. And so instead of having Papa Chuck saying, look, you need to go take like go take it to that deer family or even have Stacy say it. He just comes up with it on his own, which shows really good character development for him. I really like it. Yep. 
sometimes like you know the holy spirit can speak to us a lot all the time i would say speaks to us better than people around around us he has time to be alone he's not around selling honey he's not gathering honey he's there by himself you know god speaks in a still small voice that's probably what happened exactly if only he wasn't a bear then this makes a whole lot more sense but you know (laughs) yeah yeah so they get to the train depot and you hear that same music that you hear when you hear the deer earlier in the episode. Right. And you hear the deer's wife, and we find out that his wife got sick. Uh, her husband was needing to get to Frontera for a job interview. Or first was a job interview or like first day on the job or something? I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. And then so they're trying to get there, and he's, they're talking to Mr. Mosey. Yeah. And so like, you know... When we when I get there, I can get the money. And really, I mean, I don't I don't blame Mister Mosey for it. When you're working for a job like that, yeah. unless you yourself have the money to do that and you feel led to do that, you're not going to give them free tickets. Right. right. Yeah. Well, yeah. He he sounds understanding about it. Like, yeah, I'm sorry, I I just can't give you the money. And um, it's this scene is even more poignant when you think that part of the reason they don't have the money is because they probably had to spend that money on food because the beehive was gone. Did you know that? Yeah, I was thinking about that a little bit. It's, you know, it's more like show, don't tell with this. Mm-hmm. Like, they could have like, oh, yeah, we were hungry. Yeah. I think it's better to come to that conclusion on our own rather than just having someone to spell it out for us. Right, right. Again, a reason why the episode works so well is that each plot element is really explained once, and then it doesn't really need to be explained again until the audience gets it. Uh, see the bees in pants joke. That we get it immediately, and then for people who don't get it, It'll be explained later because we already understood it the first time. And so something like this for the deer, we, I mean, I picked up that they like needed money because they spent money on food because they didn't have the beehive. Because obviously if they were using the beehive and all of a sudden it's gone and the honey is that good, think about it again. CJ at the beginning of the episode, I think I mentioned this at the beginning of the review, just to hold on to this. He's hungry. He's completely forgotten the whole reason he wanted the beehive in the first place is because he was hungry. Well, this family is hungry, and he's finally helping them because he also knows what it's like to feel that way, which is why CJ's turnaround is so great in this episode. So here's another thought. What if they weren't just going to use the honey to eat? Maybe they had the same idea to sell it to get the money to go to Frontera. Ooh, well, that's interesting. And then CJ just got to them before before they did? Or got to it before they did? Like, because he's a bear and he can handle the, the beehive better? Yeah, probably. Ooh. And they probably weren't able to cart it off or anything. Now, that's interesting. I have to think about that one. I don't know. Anyway, so, well, CJ comes up to them and I guess they recognize him. Mm-hmm. And he apologizes about it. And then Goose butts in, you know, <laughs> he's often kind of greedy and selfish. Goose, I want to do this on my own. He was being kind of greedy and selfish. And then he just says the same thing, which, you know, I'm done. fine. <laughs> no she says sorry that time yeah. thankfully sorry so he talks about like he felt bad about how he treated them and he would like to help them with this which i guess he overheard their conversation like i guess he didn't just walk straight up to me he probably just waited a little bit first before like kind of interrupting eavesdropping add that to his list of crimes <laughs> but yeah he offers to give them the money and I think the female deer said, like, the only one was $30, so that'd be at least 30, 30 jars, I guess. Yeah. So he didn't get to, he didn't get to any of those 50 jars, so that's pretty much all it was. Or no, 40, was it 40? I think it was 40, up to $40, I think. Right, right. 
and he spent money on the jars, which was a, a good portion. And I'm guessing. Oh, okay. I'm guessing a significant bit to where didn't he give them like thirty seven dollars or something like that? Yeah, something like that. Right. So the jars that like any of the profit that he made, he some some of that he spent on the jars, and the rest he just gave away, which. That's a, that was a great choice. Yeah, and he actually, I think what he gave them was actually more than what they needed. Exactly. Which is great. Right, right. It was generous. And I think part of it, if you listen to CJ, the way CJ's actor delivers it, because he, he did a great job in this episode. If you listen to the way he delivers it, just like kind of absently, it sounds like he doesn't, he doesn't care. Like, here, just take the third, take the, take the extra. But if you think about where his character's gone, he's feeling really bad about it. So he's saying, here, just just take the extra because he's okay with them having it. He doesn't want to have the curse. He doesn't ha- want to have the scourge of me anymore. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And he also doesn't want them to pay him back either. Right. Right. That's that's what a gift is, really. Yeah. No, that's that's great. I mean, isn't that – that's what I try to do with people. I'm like, hey, I'll, I'll pay for your meal. Or I'll, I'll do this for you. You don't have to pay me back for it. Uh, and then every once in a while, I'm like, uh, if somebody does owe me money, I just I just forget about it. Uh, because I don't, I don't care. I have enough money. I can, I can share it with people. Mm-hmm. So, I w- would you say this episode is a lot better? Brings a lesson of being generous and have like having having the heart behind that better than um to have and give not. So have and give not was that the the scourge was that the scourge of me episode? Yeah, yeah. I remember you had pointed out some issues with it that it was kind of like the way it was presented or something was a little bit off. Yes, I do remember those issues, and absolutely, I didn't feel any of that here. So my biggest thing was I was like, oh, man, they're going to be shooting down capitalism and say, no, you shouldn't make profits off of stuff. You shouldn't hoard things and make your own money and make other people pay for it. But the episode didn't say that at all, which I don't even know the writer's stance on capitalism, which is perfectly fine because he taught – like he went an even better route and said it's more – like at least in this case, it matters about the heart because I could see a way that CJ could still be a fine capitalist and still have a good heart about it and still not be uh, not be affected by the scourge of me. And the generosity picture is so much more impactful when you say it wasn't his individual actions that were problematic. It was the heart that he had going into it and all throughout it. And at the end, the move that he makes isn't because he's seen the error of his ways. It's because he's seen the problem in his heart. And that's why he gives. It's a heart issue. He's being generous because it's an overflow of the change that he's experienced inside. That's good. It's really, really good. But yeah. Like, no one made him do it. No one, exactly. you know, forced him to do it. He talked right. with his parents first, which is uh-huh. which is great, but he brought it up. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I won't get into much politics here, but capitalism gives a lot more room for people to be generous. Socialism does not. Yeah. I'll leave that there. And I'll be political if you want to, but, you know, go listen to audio news for that one. <laughs> so the Deer family, they're very grateful, and they hear the school bell, and they're going away, and, you know, uh, <laughs> the female deer says, like, oh, sweet cub. And Why do you think he walks like that? <laughs> And then here's CJ in the back, back right like, up, you slow guys. down, you guys. <laughs> it's just so good. I love how the music goes out. <laughs> it's just great. So we come to the song, which, Yay! again, the songs don't always match stylistically with the rest of the episode, but I think it works with it. It's almost, I guess, would we, would we consider, like, jazz a little bit? Or, like, blues or something like that? I don't know. It's like, it has, a, like, that trumpet, piano, and chimes. It was pretty simple, and then they added, like, more instruments later. Yeah. I thought it at uh, you mean stylistically in terms of the music style or the theme. Well, I, th- I guess it'd be thematic if it was that stylistically. I I would I would think. Yeah, the songs are really diverse in their in their style. Like you have um, I think you have basically three different types of songs. Songs that could apply to any situation. Songs that are thematic, but 
apply specifically to that episode, and then songs that are just repeats of what happened in the episode. The latter would be co- Correction Course, where they just talk about the events of the episode. The second would be the next episode, Snake Oil, where it's very clearly connected to the scam artist. Um, con artist, one of those two. But then this one is more... It seems that the lyrics are even more biblical. We don't get a hint about what the story was about, you know? Yeah, and I don't ever talk about in the in the story about storing up treasures in heaven, like, you know, put your, you know... You know, look at things above, not things oh, on the earth. Wait, that kind of stuff. But it still works with it. Wait, did I crack the code? Are the songs actually Insight for Living's uh, or like um, Paws and Tails' version of Chris? Like instead of having Chris, they just have the song. I mean, maybe I don't. They don't have a narrator bookend it, and they kind of do sometimes near the end of an episode. I don't think too many of these episodes have, but some in the future might have like a little bit of that. But they don't usually wrap it up as nearly and add Bible verses and whole lot with it they either work that in with the episode the story itself or they do it in the song mm. oh, okay never mind i was just playing my inner ryan conspiracy conspiracy <laughs> theorist right there but anyway but the song is really catchy yes and, I, and this speaking of ryan there are so many money puns <laughs> like um in heaven i have some written down here like in heaven no one's in the red yeah and like when god says well done my favorite one that's the big ka-ching <laughs> yeah it's really good it's really clever Sandy Howell again does the songs, right? Yeah, she wrote this along with somebody else. I'm not sure who's singing the song in this, though. It may be the person that wrote the song with her. I don't know. There's so many interviews I want to do with people. Can we track her down and do an interview? <laughs> I think you mentioned that a while back. I, I did! Gotta, I still want to do it. That. <laughs> <laughs> I want to point out uh, one uh, one line in here that some people maybe have issue with. Oh. Uh, it's like, give to it hurts. I don't think you should. You got to give, give, give some more until it feels really good. I agree with that. I mean, it works with the song, I think. I think it's a little bit better um, put. I mean, it's not quite as, you know, catchy as, like, going with the song. But, like, my, our past, like, a pastor of my church um, says, you know, don't give till it hurts, give till it doesn't hurt. And that's the same thing. It was just more more words. Yeah. Well, how is it different? Like, why would, you have an, why would you have an issue with the original version? Well, it's, like, a lot of words saying the same thing. I think it works. But I think with this, it sounds a little, with, like, give till it doesn't hurt, it sounds a little more like, okay, we're not trying to... I'm not sure what, what I'm saying. It sounds like a little le- more tactful, I guess. Maybe give till it doesn't hurt. Maybe like you gotta give 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 some more. Until it feels really good. Like how at what point is it good and when is it really good? I, I'm probably thinking too much into it, but that's one line that I kind of picked out the most. I think the song's more saying when you give, it will feel really good, not give to the point when you know it feels really good. I feel like that's more what it's saying. Like give till it hurts. You're thinking, oh man, it's gonna hurt me to give this. No, no, no. It's actually gonna make feel really good if you give this. I think that's more what the song's saying than mm-hmm. give like you know, like you know how much you need to give and that's this much. Y- you know what I mean? Yeah, I've heard my pastor talk about it before, like where him and his wife, when there's been a time like if they felt like they should give some money to some people or uh, put a certain amount in the offering. If they came up with two different amounts, each of them had a different amount they thought they should give, they'd always go with the highest amount, yep. which I think is a really, really good way to go about it. Yeah, you, my parents have done so, so much for our church, um, and like, not not only just giving of their money, but giving of their time. My dad is basically an electrical engineer, and he does a lot of work on people's houses. He's also a home inspector, which is really cool. Uh, my, my dad's awesome. Uh, but he, if somebody has a problem in our church, uh, like in their home or, or anywhere, he'll go and, and help immediately for no cost whatsoever. He considers it service. And that's the way that he gives. And he feels really good about that. I think he's about to retire too. I'd have to talk to him and see what his plans are. But um, I'm sure he would love to, to just do that for for the rest of his life uh, because it's it's really, really fulfilling. And my mom too, like with uh, the tutoring that she does for people in our church. 
um she does a lot of that for free and she considers that that kind of giving to be really fulfilling and and i can see that and i did some of that too over the summer for summer camp i was i I wasn't paid a lot and i knew i wasn't going to be paid a lot but just the work of working with kids and giving of my time to them that was really impactful and for cj he's not only giving he wouldn't he's not only giving that money but he's also giving care and like attention to the deer the family of deer who needed just what he could give it wasn't as much the money it was the fact that somebody reached out and cared and that's that's why giving till it feels good um is a good message and like why this episode really really works yeah again it comes comes down to the heart if you're being like coerced to do it or being forced to do it or feel just do out a sense of guilt which i don't think he necessarily did it out of a sense of guilt it probably had a little bit to deal with that. It was more like, okay, I've been way too greedy. I, I need to do something. And I can't remember. I thought I wrote this down, but basically like sometimes, you know, when you're holding on to something too much and it's leading you the wrong way, sometimes God will have you give that thing up, even though it may not necessarily be wrong, but if it is leading you astray, leading you away from him, and it can be a bigger hindrance down the road. It's better to give that all the way up just to be safe. I would i would think yeah well guilt isn't necessarily a problem if guilt could be god the holy spirit prompting you hey um you didn't do this maybe this is something that you should do or this is something you should do depending on how forceful it is but it is a matter of the heart and if god is changing your heart and regenerating you in that way then yeah he will guide you to to make the best decision right Mm -hmm. yeah and also i will say this episode or this song i guess uh you know, it's a great job of, you know, kind of summarizing, putting it into song, like Matthew six nineteen, like, you know, lay out, lay not up for yourselves, treasure upon earth, that kind of stuff. It's not like fully the same, like has like, you know, like the chorus that you know about moth and rust and for thieves can't break in, that kind of stuff. Right. It's great. It's not like a, you know, word for word kind of thing, but it makes it a little more, I don't know, it makes it a little more applicable, I guess, maybe. And catchy. Yep. That too. Very catchy. But yeah, that I, w- I was wonder I was wondering. I thought I will talk about it later. I thought I wasn't quite sure. I thought you probably enjoy probably like this episode, okay? But I didn't <laughs> expect you to really really in- enjoy it that much. But I-, I appreciate the episode a lot more. Yeah. Even now, even though I like the episode quite a bit, after hearing what you said about it, it's it's it is a really good episode and good song too. I think maybe it's just the Mountain Dew, but I'm I'm ten out of five on this episode. This is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see if we can keep that positivity up for the next episode, Snake Oil. You know, I think we can. Unfortunately, I was spoiled about this episode from the title, but yeah, I think you're supposed to be. So this episode was written by David Carl. The script supervisor was Phil Lawler. The director was David Carl. Music by Tim Hossman again. Sound design, Eric Basil. And the song, What Kind of Boy, was written by Sandy Howe and Nick Brown. Mm-hmm. Now, when I first heard this one, I'll say it again. I was like, I don't know how I feel about it. And at the beginning of the episode in my notes, I have written down, I don't know how I feel about this one. And then I listened to it again. And I thought, no, this episode's fantastic. This is fine. And for those who don't know who are listening, the phrase snake oil means a, a scam uh, item or something that's sold by a scam artist. So I knew that going into the episode. And I thought, oh, that's who this guy is as soon as I heard him. So I kind of knew what, what was going to happen. So we begin the episode, the club is going to school, and Hugh pounces on some kid named Snaggle, wow. which that's a really interesting name. I'm wondering what kind of animal Snaggle was. Oh, we don't hear him again? No, we don't hear him in this one, and kind of, we really don't kind of hear Hugh. We hear, like, me, like, a sound, like, like, like his, like, you know, growl, probably from a previous episode, but that's about it, I think. Yeah, I imagine that, what, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the past episode, maybe, uh, Dr. Theron just picks him up by the tail, it's like, what are you doing? Growl. 
and spikes him over the net. <laughs> Isn't that a 2020 joke? Did I make that like two years ago? I forget. It's been so long. It's been so long. Um, but you no, know, we don't hear Snaggle any any other time in the series. Nope. Huh. Oh well. Well, you didn't hear him at all in this one, so it's not like you're missing much. Which is, it's kind of nice, like, it's in a distance, but I think it, it came down to, like, with the kids telling, like, what's happening. It almost, I think it went a little bit over the line of, like, saying too much of what's happening too specifically, but I don't, I think it's okay. What if Hugh was trying to beat up Snaggle to get one of those black pipes? <laughs> or were they black You're pipes? I don't know what color this. they were. Maybe uh, tubes. They call them tubes. Tubes. Oh. Okay, I still have no idea what that is. Let's keep going. You will soon. Oh. Novacom? <laughs> soon but probably more like next season i think at least for that part we're only in episode 13 we gotta get there come on <laughs> anyway goose calls uh the person that stopped stopped him the amazing badger yeah and again i love goose the way she says it's fantastic yeah and then ned you know he has no uh, it seems like ned ned me cj like dislike you the most probably of anybody in the club mm-hmm. you know he says like i'm so happy i could cry like he was like seeing how you know, Hugh got some comeuppance, which that also, it makes you, it makes the audience and the, and the club trust this guy because he righted a wrong. He kind of bested the bully that they've dealing with. And that adds a layer of trust there. Again, story structure with Dr. Theron is genius. David Carl is a genius. And I love how he wrote Dr. Theron in this episode for so, so many reasons, including this very start. Because we meet him here, and, like, it seems like he just wants food or, like, a place to stay, and he's this guy who doesn't have much. And but by the time you realize he's more than that, you've forgotten that that's how you met him, or, like, that's how they met him. Like, when he's selling everyone the snake oil, uh, you forget he, he had these really humble beginnings, sort of, and he was conning everyone from the very start. Yeah. Which, wow. So, Dr. Theron, like we talked about in the last review, he's played by Eric Basil. Mm-hmm. And I think it does a great job with this. Like yes. the voice, I think the some of the kids mentioned about like they weren't sure like where he's from, like his accent. I'm not quite sure what it, it sounds like. I don't know, like kind of more like showsman like. He seems like kind of like, exaggerated, kind of like Edwin, Edwin Blackard is a little bit. Yeah, and he it kind of makes him like you know, oh, he's kind of funny. But you can also like, okay, he's overreacting. Like he's acting. Why is he acting? So if you think about it, you know, like there's just so many layers layers to this character. Have you heard of The Music Man? I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, it's a musical where the main character is a scam artist, just like, basically just like Dr. Theron. He goes from town to town, conning towns into uh, setting up boy, or like, I think they're boys' bands? Uh, yeah, boys' bands, uh, like for, for kids. And he gives a speech in that musical that's really, really like uh, the one he gives about like the fear that he sees in the town. And it's it, the similarities were just really, really interesting. Yeah, he he also talks about this too. Like he, at the beginning, he talked about you know he wants some provisions and a I think a place of worship for some prayer, and that's the only time you hear him talk about anything related to God or anything like that. And yeah. again, you know, me here in the episode after several times, you know, looking at it like analytically, like you could okay, like there he like, you know, oh I'm just wanting some food. I want to you know find some place to prayer. Like when he's you can kind of tell like they're like he seems like kind of insincere for your because you know what happens later. Yep. But it's, you know, just his kind of, his, it's his con. He's trying to make people think, oh, he's he's a good person. Yeah, I, I wonder if there was any hope for him. I'm guessing not, because he conned so many people beforehand. So, like, if he had in that moment made a, made a decision to turn and be a good guy, I don't think he would have. I think he was already too far gone. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Like, the good people, even the good people at Wildwood couldn't turn him. Yeah. He also has a pretty big vocabulary, and people don't <laughs> normally understand him. I think he said he calls them his intrepid guides. What did he say? I don't know, but I think it was good. <laughs> yeah, see, I think Stacy said, I think it's a good thing, which we actually have someone kind of say that later on. Yeah, it's it's really, really good sound design, except for, like, one spot, but that is really good where he's talking, and somebody in the town says, I have no idea what he's talking about, but it sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So CJ seemed like of all of them, because this episode does focus on it, he seemed like the most, he seems to latch onto onto uh, Dr. Theron more than anybody. He talks about him introducing him to Stag Williams, Officer Hunt, Papa Chuck, yeah. and all these people. Well, that's intentional because, you know, I mean, Dr. Theron sees that CJ is attached to him. And because CJ is trusted in the town, uh, Dr. Theron gets CJ to trust him and then uses him for the con. It's it's Buck Oliver all over again, right? Well, it's actually I think closer to uh, uh, Fairweather fans. I listened to the episode the other day oh, where uh, what's yeah. his name gets Isaac, yeah. and he finds out Isaac knows a lot of those people, so he uses Isaac to help him sell the fans. Wait, why can't I remember his name? This is horrible. I'm a terrible Odyssey fan. Uh I can't remember name? it either. I listened about a week ago. No, I feel terrible. Why? Don't worry about it. You'll probably probably think about it in the middle of the night. <laughs> You wake up like, oh, I know his name now. <laughs> By the end of this review, I'm already thinking about it. All right, keep going. <laughs> this was really interesting. There was a part of this episode I had never understood. Like most of the, his vocabulary, I can understand now that I'm, you know, an adult. But there's one part I didn't think too much about because I think uh, Stacey said like some of the stuff on his wagon, she couldn't quite read or whatever. And then Papa Chuck says later all these things. It basically alliterates. It says that he's a pharmacist, philanthropist alchemist i guess that wouldn't quite be alliteration quite as much with that uh and then a phrenologist and what's that i'm glad you asked michael <laughs> well you know it now <laughs> exactly getting ready for that so derek is that his name yes that's it yeah i got it okay keep going you can sleep you can sleep well tonight <laughs> <laughs> i, I would have just looked it up on the wiki sorry go ahead so basically i looked this up thankfully i actually got got the words Pretty well. It's close enough that Google could understand me. <laughs> um, basically, it's considered now a pseudoscience. It's basically basically the study of the confirmation of the skull as indicative of mental faculties and traits of character. Phrenology enjoyed great popular appeal well into the 20th century, but has been wholly discredited by scientific research. Yeah, well, that makes sense because he's saying uh, stuff about like people's, people's appearances and the stains and stuff and saying, well, you've got these fears and it's manifesting in that way or whatever. So it totally makes sense. Kind of like Dr. Blackard's uh, degree in child psychology. Uh, I still don't know how I feel about that. (laughs) So we hear, like, later on, you know, Mrs. Merriweather invited Dr. Theron to dinner. Yep. He mentions that. And Dr. Theron's still talking with CJ, and he thanks him for all this. And then he asked him, uh, what does your name stand for? Like, what does CJ stand for? So before you heard this, did you think that it stood for something? Or did you think much about it? Or did you kind of guess before he said it? No. No, I didn't at all. In fact, can I make a Lost Episodes of DGL reference? Go ahead. I actually, actually, careful. I've only heard the last, the two part. I haven't heard the two part yet. I heard the first episode though. Okay, don't. It's not. It's legitimately not worth your time. Um, but the second episode has another one of those name reveals. But my thing is, the original writer didn't come in and do the name. It's a new writer on the team, so yeah. I don't really know how I feel about that. And my icky feelings toward those episodes in general, nothing on the writer personally. I just think the episodes are very, very flawed in a lot of different ways. That's just that's just me. I know a lot of people like them. But with this, this is the original writer for the series, David Carl. 
he did the first episode where CJ was introduced, and now he's doing this one. And so CJ's name actually makes sense if it's coming from the original writer. I get that. But no, I didn't think about what his name stood for before this episode. It's really interesting. And he says, that he, he, at first he just says, you know, it's uh, his family. They name cubs after relatives. Um, yeah. And he doesn't really like that tradition. <laughs> Which I kind of I kind of thought of uh, C.S. Lewis because he did not like the name Clive Staples and it went by went by Jack. I'm staring at the Chronicles of Narnia Radio Theater tin that has C.S. Lewis on the front of it right now. Ooh, nice! You finally got it. I did finally. I have that Father Gilbert, the complete Adventum series one to four, Jonathan Park, eight and nine, just all sitting in CD form right here in front of me. I'm touching them right now. I want to listen to them, but I can't because I still have to get through Left Behind. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> That's okay. But when Dr. Theron talks about, you know, you know, great people would never use their given names, not, not just their initials, like uh, C.S. Lewis and other people like... J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah, and like... Uh, T.S. Eliot, like J.K. Chesterton. Or, yeah, like, yeah, you think the... I think you remember the initials more sometimes when it's just like with the last name or something. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, Dr. Theron, great people don't use their initials, the Inklings. We beg to differ. <laughs> oh, that's good. You need to make a meme for that. <laughs> All right, so later on, is it in the same day or the next day that he has his first show? Well, we get CJ's name reveal. Oh, yeah. Chancellor James. That's a great name. Yeah, the James one is more a more common name, but Chancellor, I think, I think it's British cool. or something like that. I think it's a really cool name. Like, Chancellor, it's, it gives him, like, a, a kingly title. And, like, it plays into the idea of him... Uh, like fulfilling, assuming his destiny or whatever that Dr. Theron is saying. It, it, I think it works really well for the episode and both both as a plot device and maybe even in the future doing that. I don't know. I think it's really cool. Yeah. So I think, I'm not sure if it's the next day or later that day that he has his first show, like where he talked about the elixir. I can't remember. I think it's probably the same day, maybe. I think it's the next day, but I don't remember. Can you drop that clip in here too? Uh, you're giving me a lot of work, so no. I'm so- No! <laughs> I'll do the first one, not this one. <laughs> oh. But, yeah, I'm fairly certain it's probably, yeah, like what you said, probably the next day. So, I think it's, yeah, he uh, sets off fireworks mm-hmm. and to get the, the town's attention in the middle of the day. So, it must, yeah, the middle of the day, I guess thing it was. I'm not sure if it's, I don't think it was in the morning. It was probably the afternoon, so it might have been the same day. I'm not sure. But he starts talking about his extract of rattlesnake elixir, and he, you know, points out these things that these problems that people have and all this and he he tries to play it but like i know all you people and all that even though he can't remember the name the name of the town very well yeah yeah it just doesn't make sense because uh if you if if anyone had he's so good at deception for people who are unexpecting it that's that's how magic tricks work you're not expecting it to work because with like if you watch a magic show um, you know there's going to be some trick, and so the magician has to work really hard to do a trick that you're not expecting. These people aren't even expecting a trick, so it's a whole lot easier for him. And if they can just see in like, like the way he's talking that obviously he doesn't know them, he's pointing out all these things, and it's confirmation bias. He says, the sky is blue. <gasps> the sky's blue! What are we going to do about Obviously. Obviously, there are things in your life that you'd want to change and that are obvious to this guy. That doesn't mean that his thing will solve it. It's It's such... It, it's it's just really really good writing for con artistry uh and it's really cool to be able to poke holes in it mm-hmm. and also i don't know if you notice that there's like this kind of organ music in the background it's kind of like almost <laughs> yeah. like he's almost like at a, kind of like a spiritual element like sound like it almost like a like a pastor like preaching like like at a high point or like a high note or like you know getting really like into his message as it were 
Turns out his time of prayer was them praying to him for the snake oil. <laughs> I guess so. He's, eh. Yeah, he probably, worship, he probably worships money. <laughs> probably. Oh, I did forget to mention, I think I have my notes out of order a little bit here, but when Dr. Theron told the CJ about, you know, to use, like, follow the call to use his abilities to be great and all that, like, he really works on his emotions for that, and that brings out his, you know, I'm telling him his name. Like, he, he wants to be like him. He wants to do great things like he believes Dr. Theron does. And again, if you're paying attention, I would be like, wait a minute, why are you all of a sudden talking like this? Weren't you this guy that I found on the side of the road? Why are you talking to me about opportunities and stuff? That's the point where the red flags start happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just uh, it's just so funny. It's I think when I was a kid, I didn't understand it as well. I felt kind of odd, but like all this back and forth with the audience, which because you can only hear it, it's kind of difficult to go back and forth, I think. But after hearing it so many times, I, I get used to it. And it's like, they're almost like in a trance. Like they go back for like, you know, like, uh, you're losing your hair. Yes, my hair is thinning or something like that. Or like yes. there's snakes in the grass and all that. And they kind of respond with it. They're almost They're almost kind of hypnotized kind of. And it seems that seems kind of odd. So I guess me, it might have been intentional that way. To like, okay, something's up. They're not acting right. He's doing something. No, right. It's it's an idea of the suspense of disbelief, and uh, I guess the creative license in the suspense. And I think it works. I think it works fabulously because we are seeing his rhetorical powers, and we're not seeing anything visually. So we're drawn in by what he's saying, and what he's saying to these people is really, really convincing. And even more so that they start talking in unison and that works well because that gives us an idea of what they look like. Like they're all acting in unison and we hear that in their voices. We hear that in his responses. I think it's really well done. Yeah. And he kind of breaks the trance there when he talks, when he says snake elixir because he's trying to rhyme with some of the words before that and, and he tells, tells CJ or Chan <laughs> chancellor, remind me to work on that later or something like that. I didn't hear that. That's really funny. But uh, officer hunt comes in and breaks things up again. This guy is a genius. He gets out there as early as he can before the police have a chance to find out. And he gets everyone into this trance and turns them against the police officer, against Officer Hunt. He's a great guy. He's so cool. I do wonder a little bit about something. I didn't really notice as much until, like, you know, I was thinking over this a lot more analytically. But he talked about, you know, if he says, like, if he sells these bottles at a small fortune, he'll, like, run them out of town or something like that. I don't, I think it's pretty, it comes down to more like one, like, do you have, like, a, I guess like a peddler's license, I guess like be around the time or whatever. He sounds like he's more, more saying like, okay, so you're hyping all this up. You better not sell it for a high price. That's, it almost sounds like that's what he's doing. Like, I think he'd be more concerned about, okay, you're a scam. This is like, this is a fraud and you need to leave or something like that. I think the writing could have been a little bit different with that. It starts good. He's like, I've seen people like you and trying to get all the people's cash and then leave town or whatever. But he says, like, he says, you know, if you sell at a high, small fortune, I'll run you out of town. Whether he makes it sell it small amount or large amount, that's not the issue. It's the issue, like, one, is he selling something that's real or not? And also, does he have a license to do it? Well, I think Officer Hunt is more concerned that he's selling it at all. Because when he says that uh, just giving it away wouldn't be illegal... That's fine because he's not depriving the people of it. And Officer Hunt hasn't seen this kind of scam before, which is really interesting, where he gives it away and then everyone wants more. But, which is, again, genius. But what he's saying is that um, he knows that if he sells it, he's going to sell it as a, at a small fortune. So he's more concerned with the, with the problem, with the idea of selling it, and then the claims being false to selling it. Like, if you sell it, then I'll have a, a, like a, a chance to, to get on you because I know this isn't snake oil. But even when he's trying to say that, everyone is booing him and and jeering at him. So does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, he he bounces back quickly. Like I, 
it almost sounds like it, but he bounced back so quickly that he probably me would have sold them stuff quite a bit for right a lot of money. But since he was kind of like, okay, I gotta tread carefully here, and he he probably is just such a smart person. He's like, okay, I'll give it free. That'll bring him to ban because I don't think he was intentionally gonna start giving them free bottles to begin with. What do you think? Uh, that that makes sense. I mean, if he's if he's feeling out his crowd and he thinks that the crowd is really really wanting it then it would totally make sense for him to take all their money and run. But as soon as the police officer comes up, he's like, oh, oh well, time for plan B. And he probably has a dozen different plans uh, of stuff to do. But And the second one being really effective, in which he he is like, well, I can't make as much money as I want, but I can make tons of money overnight by doing it that way because he knows how human nature works. Like, he's four, par- <laughs> he's four parallel universes ahead of everybody else uh, because, like, he knows what they're going to do once they find out that there's the last bottle. And the emphasis, I need to find somebody who's really good at studying, like, con artistry or whatever, but the emphasis of this is the last bottle is really important in, the like, the later scene because that plays into everyone's emotions. Like, they really want this. And you can tell... Limited edition. <laughs> it's a marketing ploy. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Well, I mean, limited edition also kind of makes sense. But anyway, it also, like, just jumping ahead a little bit, once we get to the next scene and... There are, like, half the people are kind of like, eh, this isn't really good. But then there are still other people who really want it. Those people who want it need it, and they want it even more than they did before. And that drives them to go in the middle of the night to get it from him. That's why all of this seems to make sense to me, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I think he's I think there's a lot more to this character than we've actually seen in this episode. So, CJ, after they're done with everything, he's, you know, asking questions about it and... Like, you know, just trust me or something like that. And he wants CJ to be an apprentice. And I don't think CJ knows quite what an apprentice was either at first. (laughs) And I think later on, I think the next day when the people come back up to him again. Oh, no, I think it's the same scene. Sorry, my notes are, I think my notes a little bit off. But like you talk about uh, with the last episode, you know, I'm not sure who plays Mrs. Merriweather. It's obviously a guy playing a woman. I don't think it's Steve Bridges. I think it's David Carl. I think it's it's definitely not Steve Bridges. I'm I'm pretty sure. I think it's I think it's also David Carl because in the scene where they're talking to each other later on, I th- it sounds like the same voice. Well, David Carl, I don't think he's to my knowledge, I don't think he's ever been in, the, in an episode. Are you thinking Eric Basil? I'm dumb. That's a sound design. One plays Ned and <laughs> my name. I can't. I'm, I don't remember. My, I'm a yeah. I'm still I'm still learning as a Paws and Tales fan. You know, it's it's okay. It's okay. I mean, there might be there, David Coral might be I, I, I don't know I, I I think the old lady's Eric Basil you know probably um I don't if it is Steve Steve Bridges that's his most convincing different voice that I can't pick out now does she have a name Mrs Merriweather that is Mrs her Merriweather. first name okay yeah did, did, was that established in the episode they talk about her and then yeah because he talked about Mrs Merriweather that's like okay. the one that the one that invited him to dinner and then oh okay. uh, here, she's okay. the one that's trying to lose weight and trying to get into that dress and it doesn't really fit right 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 i just wasn't sure that was her name okay i i get it now that makes sense when he says like you know it's you know he's giving away free uh someone in the audience think one place the or the actress is chris anthony's playing somebody out there he's like that's a steal and then he says yes it is for a while i wonder like okay is he saying that directly to her but the more thing about like, okay, he's probably just saying that under his breath, but just loud enough for us to hear. It's just <laughs> not loud great. enough for her to hear. And like, like he's like, uh, wink, wink. I think there's a scene where Chris plays two characters back to back, and it's kind of disconcerting. Like, I want, some, like, I want some, I want some too, something like that. I would ask you to drop in the line, but I know you're not going to. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure what part you're talking about, but I know you hear at least once or twice. 
And later on, CJ starts ta- talking like Dr. Theron. There's only one jar left. Exactly. Or one bottle left. And it's I, I it's so funny, but kind of indicative of human nature. Like, uh, some people are like, oh, I used all my enough or whatever. And there's one guy says, I didn't even use mine, but I need more now. <laughs> oh, I, there's so many gems of lines that I keep missing in this episode. It's great. Yeah, you need to listen to it a third time. Uh, I'll do it. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but Dr. Theron talks about, like, later, like, he's, you know, the shortage is making them, like, turn their wants into needs. And yes. really, he, a lot of the stuff he's using, it's basically the placebo effect. It's like a placebo pill. It's supposed to do something. People think it's supposed to do something, but it actually doesn't do anything. No, right, exactly. And because he's the one driving it, that's that's why it's effective. And he he has that line and another line that where I was I was blown away by all of a sudden his sudden turn in character, which you know wasn't so sudden because we could see it from the beginning, but also it's just really really good writing where he says where uh, Mrs. Merriweather comes up and he says it's the third act, Chancellor, which one story structure and two. That makes sense. Totally makes sense. First act was here's my item. Uh, like let me get a so like let me get to know you people in the town. Now here's my item. Two, you want more of it. Three, you're gonna do anything to get mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Sometimes they want something so bad that their thinking gets all cluttered up. That's what the narrator says. And my I say people aren't always rational. Exactly. Did you get that reference? It sounds familiar. Okay, I'm not sure, you'll, though. You'll, you'll figure it out later tonight, maybe. Anyway. <laughs> oh, come on. I want to sleep good tonight. Sorry. Just go read Alternate Rydell again. You'll be fine. Oh, okay. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, he's going to go to the desert and, like, I guess basically milk rattlesnake venom or whatever. <laughs> so he's just like, you know, how, like, are you really going to the desert? Like, how are you going to do the snake oil or something like that? And then right there, that the facade is starting to fade a little bit. His mask is coming off, as it were. Yeah, from the beginning of that scene, even the narrator says it was clear to anyone who would look around, but that people actually weren't losing weight or uh, the stains weren't, weren't moving. And that's when Dr. Theron thinks that he has CJ's trust. And I mean, basically, he does, but he's underestimated CJ's will, like CJ's goodness, I think. Because that's because he's totally fine with just telling him the whole plan. Like, what? Pfft, haven't you seen it before? I'm a scam artist. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. And he says, like, basically, the recipe is just cough syrup and water, and stream water is best with a little dirt in it. Ugh gross come on that's just okay that's just negligence at this point <laughs> yeah but i'm guessing people don't really care what it tastes like i mean not everybody probably be right, drinking it probably right. the only ones that are losing weight the ones that, like with the stains or trying to keep snakes out of the grass they probably be pouring out on stuff yeah but probably the ones losing weight are probably trying to drink it yeah and with him he has them in the palm of his hand and he doesn't even he doesn't care he knows they won't care about the dirt because they just want the thing so He's he's encouraging it. Doc Wool is gonna have a lot of patience if that if there's something bad in that water. Ugh, yeah. But anyway, CJ finds out like he was lying, and you know he kind of sh- other thing kind of shoots him away, and and says he just runs off, and he starts crying. Yep, because he was scammed. He was conned. Well, I mean, we missed the part of a. It's also Mrs. he was kind of a hero. Yeah, right. Because. And that's what the next scene does really well, but I, I want to just jump on this real quick. Do you want to talk about Mrs. Merriweather okay. first? So, like, this is the the end of the Plan B con, if we're talking about, like, Plan A was just get money from everyone. Plan B is, like, there's only one bottle left, and you need it. And she comes up, and she says, no one shall ever know that you sold me the last bottle. Exactly. That way, he can sell the same last bottle to everyone. That's what he says. It's genius. I, he says, I expect to sell the last bottle perhaps a hundred times tonight. Like, that is so arrogant of him to say that, because... We know what he's doing. And then the next scene, Papa Chuck 
has the great line where he says, like, CJ says, he was telling me about my calling, and, and Papachuk says he was calling you to become a crook. It's so it's so well played. Yeah, and it, it's so hard for CJ because basically he's become, like, his hero. Yes. And, like, when you look up to someone and they, they do something that isn't lined up with their character or you see that they weren't all that same person all along, it's, it's really hard. Guard your heart, but still be willing to love. Don't let yourself be hurt by somebody who you don't trust. Build that trust beforehand. Note to all of you out there and to me. Anyway, keep going. Papa Chuck talks about, you know, you're like you're not an apprentice. Like, uh, you're an apprentice of Jesus. And then yes. he goes into this talk about disciples. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is really good again, because just like the last episode, CJ made the right decision and he knew what it was. And now that he's made the right decision, Papa Chuck is congratulating him for that decision and telling him why. He made the right he made the right call, which I think is really good. Mm-hmm. And he and then it kind of ends that conversation like we you know he wants he wants to be like Papa Chuck. He wants to be like him. Like I would think that like CJ already looked at the Papa Chuck quite a bit before this, but I think with this he sees the difference. He sees yeah. someone that's insincere, trying to just make a fast buck and just trying to just go in his own way. But he sees someone else that is following God that he does has trusted, and he sees him continue to be that way. Another thing in the writing here is back from the beginning of the episode, we had one other scene with Papa Chuck where he says he's a, isn't he a carpenter or a handyman? He does things for the people in town. Um, like un, now that we had that line, and now that we know that Doctor Theron is is no good, now CJ wants to be like actually actually like Papa Chuck and somebody who actually helps. And that was great setup from that first scene. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of a song from Patchapire that would really go along with this. Follow follow a leader who follows the Lord. And we hear, uh, well, actually, I guess before that, uh, because he CJ tells him that, you know, Dr. Theron's a crook, and then he said that he knew and that Officer Hunt was going after him. So I guess he just, because he found out from telegrams or whatever that he had caught other people, but because I guess he couldn't have arrested him for what he was doing already, unless he knew about the the last bottle thing. Yeah. But he found out, okay, he has a past record, he's wanted in all these areas, I can go get him now. Right, right. And it's interesting, we don't hear Dr. Theron at all. We just hear the narrator saying, like, he's, like, you know, handcuffed to that, to, like, the railing or whatever. And you hear Officer Hunt's like, hey, y'all, or something like that. And I guess he's pre- I guess yeah. he's pretty happy. He got his man. Yep, big happy wolf being like, ah, I got my guy. <laughs> just taking him away. So here's here's the thing. Do you think it would have been beneficial if CJ got to talk with Dr. Theron? Do you think that would have detracted? I, I know it's, I think it works great with this. It's slimmed down enough so it's the basics, the essentials is there. I don't think it's essential that we hear from Dr. Theron, but it would be kind of nice to hear him say something like, unhand me, Officer Hunt. This is all a misunderstanding or something like that. And that you, CJ, tell him what a, what a nice, what an upstanding man I am. And for CJ to go, sorry, Dr. Theron, I'm, a, I'm an apprentice of Christ now or something like that. That would have that would have been like there are a couple creative things you can do and or maybe like see an epilogue of CJ going to visit Doctor Theron and saying like Doctor Theron is like ah CJ good to have you here see if you can get him to uncuff me and CJ's like no Doctor Theron I know what you're doing and it's not good and Doctor Theron's like well why why would you turn on me like that and CJ then like tells him like there could be some really good story to come out of that uh, but I think it ends in a place where it's fine but it could turn out cheesy if you're not careful what do you mean like. Uh, or kind of cliche and the way it could come across. Like, so I'm not that kind of apprentice anymore, something like that. I think that could, all, depending on the delivery and the writing of it, it could be a little bit cheesy. So I, I, I think the way they ended it was great. I just kind of thought that, like, huh. We don't hear him say anything or even, like, grunt or anything like that. I mean, he's just so despondent. He's just so quiet. Like, okay, he's finally caught, and he's just speechless, I guess. Well, I don't want to rewrap the episode, but I think my ending would work really well, too. But, you know, I guess it just depends. I'll go to Ryan and see what he thinks about it. But, yeah, I think it ended fine. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good ending, and he like I think it ends with that Papa Chuck saying like he's proud of him, and at this point like he says they tell the club about it or something. I don't remember. Or maybe I'm mixing up with another episode. Yeah, I I don't remember. I think it's like go. I think he says let's go tell your parents about oh, like so. Does CJ become? Does CJ say he wants to become a Christian or just uh, a disciple of Christ? A disciple. So what is that? Well, the thing is that's Papa Chuck, and I don't think I quite agree with it. He says like there's a lot of Christians, but not all of them are disciples, which I kind of disagree with that. If you are a Christian, you are following Christ. Huh. I know there are more dedicated Christians, but I would think anybody that is a Christian is a disciple. And we could probably debate that, but it is kind of late here. But I just felt that's one line that I kind of, mean like, eh, I'm not quite sure about that theology there, but okay. I, I'm trying to think. I think in some context, this might not be exactly what it's talking about, but if you're not being mentored by somebody, if you don't have a shepherd, uh, somebody uh, earthly who can guide you, then I think you are missing out. You should have somebody like that in your life. And I think that's what Papa Chuck is talking about. Okay. Um, but I'm not exactly sure. I'd have to go back and hear it another time to break it down and to get some theology behind it. You are correct that if, if you are a true Christian, then you will be continually sanctified uh, by Christ. And that's his discipleship of you because he is the good shepherd. Um, so I don't exactly know what the episode is saying. Again, it's not like they don't spend a lot of time on it, so you could probably look into a lot of things with that or, like, take it a certain way. But I think it works okay with the story itself. Yeah. I'm just not sure I fully agree with that, but which it, it happens. There's some stuff I don't always agree with in the show or, or even other shows, too. But that's that's one thing that's great about having these discussions. You know, you're, you're, you're put on your thinking cap a lot more. See, okay, is this something I believe? Is this something I, I don't believe? And it's great. Well, especially with this series, because we've, we've gone with the precedent in the series of they do bring up or David Carl brings up big theological issues and we're here to discuss them. And I operate on the assumption, I've said this tons of times, good episodes make – or poor episodes make you critique the episode. Good episodes make you critique your life. So that's that's what I think this episode does is it brings up good questions. It has me think, okay, how can I apply this to my life? And I think if we're holding the episode to that microscope, that's that's good. So if there's a little nitpick, that's perfectly fine to bring that up, and I'm okay with it. So we come to the song, Woo! which I want to say I love. I love this song. It's probably one of my favorite songs from season one, and probably one of my top ten songs from the series. Okay. I think. Yeah, it's fun. So I'm not sure what you would quite describe the style of this song. It it almost sounds like almost like carnival like music, kind of almost. Not carnival, no. More country. Mm, I don't think it sounds much like country. No? It sounds. I don't know, like, like more like a show tune or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like a, it's probably like the most conversational song, like a back and forth. Usually, like we have a little bit of like a uh, Kid of the Kingdom and I forgot about that song, like God with the Wind, or like the or we know God is by the things He's done. Like there's people talking back and forth to each other, but this is like it's totally just a conversation. Really, it's not like talking to the audience, like oh, let's have these asides. It's a total conversation and. I think it does improve. I know you didn't like the song for like correction course that much. Uh, when you're wrong, you're wrong. I really didn't like that one. But this one, it, it kind of tells a story. Yeah. Actually, when I think about it, it's almost like his conversation. Like he knows he's a charlatan at this point, kind of. It's like an alternate reality or alternate version of the story, kind of, because he kind of knows it. He's telling him this, and he already knows it, and he talks like, "I don't want to be this way." Yeah. It's really fun. And Eric Basil, I mean, he is is a super talented guy, and. He keeps that character for the song, and, you know, has kind of big words like, you know, a little hokum, and I love it. Like, it's like, don't you want to hear the crowd applause when you pontificate? And then CJ's just like, I think so. 
Yeah, it's very, very clever. Yeah, and like he's like, you know, he t- tells like all these good things. You'll be wealthy. You'll be lonely. And what? He's like, huh? Forget about it. <laughs> That's nothing. Don't mind me. <laughs> And also, too, like, when he's like, you know, the more I think about it, the more I get a funny feeling. And then he says, like, oh, that's just your conscience. I lost mine years ago. <laughs> and it's just, this, he's so flippant about it. Yeah. It's kind of funny in the back and forth. It's just, it's such a fun song. It, it, it gives you, like, a chance. Like, he hears about it, and he's thinking about it. It's kind of like a summary of the episode. Again, kind of, like, kind of like an alternate form of the story to a certain extent. But it still brings a point across. What kind of person do I want to be? Do I want to be like this guy that's, you know, always lying and lonely and doesn't have any friends, and he's always, you know, doing the wrong thing? Or do I want to be like Jesus? It's different from Correction Course because it doesn't tell the full story of the episode, but it gives the theme of the episode. It brings the moral across, too, in a really fun way. And it's really, they don't talk about as much in the episode, in the story itself, but, you know, like, what kind of person are you going to be? Like, people are going to follow somebody. Just make, you better make sure it's somebody good. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that person is following God because right. people will let you down, but God never will. Absolutely. And that ties into the end of being a disciple of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And I will say, I just say, I don't really like fades when it comes to songs very much. <laughs> No, this one was great. It can be overused so much. I like it with this, but I was able to, like, you know, pick out a lot of the lines because he kind of talks after a while. Like, when he says, like, you know, and that's the kind of boy I want to be. Like, he, like, gets to stand there and he's like, oh, you must be bluffing. You're not, you're not bluffing. And he's like, oh, you surely must be bluffing. You've got such sincerity. And so he just says, like, you know, I I want to be a boy of character. And he says, like, I've been called a character. Like, I tell the truth when I absolutely have to. Like, now, you're stepping on my foot, Get boy. Off my foot. Get off my foot. <laughs> what do you mean you're not convinced? That could hurt my reputation. And I think it's about the last part I could pick up before, like, it faded completely. So I'm not quite sure if there's anything yeah. more or not, but it's enough there. If you turn your volume all the way up near the end, you can hear it. Before I get blasted by the outro music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I did it with more, like, the song by, its, the song by itself on YouTube. But yeah, this episode, I mean, these two episodes, I think, are some of the best episodes of season one. I'm not sure if they're necessarily the best... Mm, Probably like being a top, top half of the series, I think. But so far, I think some of these are the some of the best episodes in the season that we've reviewed so far. I think I'm starting to feel the difference between my favorite and the best because even if this episode is objectively one of the better ones, it's not necessarily my favorite. Uh, and I don't, I don't exactly know how I feel about that that realization that I have favorites like the favorite and the best for me are two different ones. Uh, but I think my favorites so far are more. I'm trying to think. The ones that come to mind are the previous one, the Honey Buzz Principle, and then back to Standing Alone. I think both both of those still are some of my favorites. And I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'd have to go back and do a retrospective after we do a full season, maybe. Yeah, whenever if if we ever get to the end of reviewing season one, we can do like, okay, what was our favorite and least favorite? And... Coming in twenty twenty four. Yeah, not, not kidding. Yeah, it's gonna take even us longer. Than that. <laughs> Hopefully not. Uh, well, Michael, this has been so much fun. I'm I'm glad you enjoyed these episodes. Like I said, there's we're still in a bumpy period in the series, but I'm glad that we got to hear a lot of the high points um in this in this recording. So, thanks so much for joining me and thanks for bringing out so many great points about the story. No problem at all. It's always really really fun. Thank you for letting me do podcasts with you because you know, I've been doing a lot of my stuff lately and it's it's good to be here. Can I do your raps? Because you never actually do raps on, on these Beyond AIO episodes, and I just want to do it for fun. Uh, sure. Go ahead. <laughs> Maybe if you can actually put the theme music on this one, I don't know if you're going to do it. But if you want to get in touch with Austin, he's probably not going to forward it to me. But you can email him or this podcast at odysseygeek at gmail.com. That's it. That's part of it, right? Yep. 
And you can also subscribe to this podcast and tell everyone else to subscribe too. It's fantastic. Like as a guest and as a person who listens regularly, whenever Austin drops an episode, this is one of the best Odyssey podcasts. And I'm really glad to be a part of it. You can find it on any podcast app, I think. I'm not sure exactly. It's on Anchor, so, you know, wherever. At O-D-Y-S-E-Y-G-E-E-K. I'm Michael LeFevre. I'm not Austin Peachy. And uh, see you around. And I'm not Ryan. Thank you. Bye. That's great. You got pretty close. I usually do like that uh, O-D-Y-S-E-Y. I usually do that when I talk about my social media like my Twitter handle and that kind of stuff, but it's close enough. Oh, I it's forgot fun. about that. It doesn't that. have to be exactly right. I forgot. Yeah, it's not supposed to be. Go ahead and put it up. If you're going to put... I'm going to stop recording real quick. Hey, it's Austin again. Thanks for still listening past the closing music. You're about to be rewarded for that because something special is coming right up. As you heard, I enjoyed the song What Kind of Boy from the episode Snake Oil a lot. I thought it would be a great song to perform with Michael. So, if you want to hear our duet... That'll be playing in just a few seconds. If you want to hear the original version of the song, with all the original lyrics, make sure to use the link in the podcast notes. That will take you to the official listing for the song on YouTube. Alright, let the singing begin. I'm a master of deception. I'm an expert in half-truths. Misdirection? I'm perfection. Yes, believe me, cause it's true. And I think to be a man like me would be your heart's desire. But it sounds as though you're saying I should want to be a liar. (laughs) No, 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 that's not it at all. I'm merely saying one should try to take all that you can get in life and forget the hows and whys. So what you're saying is that I should want to cheat? No, no, persuade. If you learn a little hokum, then you're gonna have it made. It's just a different point of view. But hey, it's up to you. What kind of boy do you want to be? That's the question, that's the key. One who's always fair and square, one who's skilled in trickery. You either follow all the rules, schmools, or you have it all for free. The question here is just what kind of boy you want to be. I can tell you're a tough sell. (laughs) I'm gonna have to use the good stuff. Let me put it another way for you. Boy, don't you wanna be important? Don't you wanna be thought great? Sure. Don't you wanna hear the crowd applaud when you pontificate? I think so. If that prospect sounds exciting, you're in luck, lad, can't you see? Cause I could turn a boy like you into a man like me. Hmm. What kind of boy do I want to be? That's the question, that's the key. Straight and narrow. Or slightly bent, with every treasure, A to Z. You'll be wealthy, you'll be lonely. Huh? Oh, that's nothing, don't mind me. It's you who must decide what kind of boy you want to be. I'd like to be the kind who never has a thing to hide. The sort of boy whose words and actions always coincide. But everyone will love you if you convince them you're a star. But it's better when they like you for who you really are. I've got to be honest. A life of tricks and double dealings? I don't think that sounds appealing. In fact, the more I think about it, the more I get a funny feeling. Oh, we can fix that. That's your conscience. I lost mine years ago. Well, actually, it's what helped me choose. 
And now I'm sure I know What kind of boy do I want to be? The kind that God expects of me I want to be a boy who's trusted Cause he's got integrity Someone honest, fair, and kind At every opportunity So I know you're quite a talker And this may come as a shocker But this boy wants to become The man that God wants him to be That's the kind of boy I want to be Oh, you're good <laughs> Oh, wait, you're not bluffing? Oh, you surely must be bluffing. Oh, this is really unbelievable. You got such sincerity. I want to be a boy of character. Well, I've been called a character. I mean, I tell the truth when I absolutely have to. Like now. You're wearing my voice out, Austin. Let me stop recording. What do you mean you want me to do it again? Uh, I'm never going to get back to audio news.